Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in today to Bible Prophecy Radio. I'm glad you're interested in prophecy because very few people are these days, seems like. They don't care about the deep things of God, but we need to. All of us need to. This is the second in a 12-part series, Why the Church is Dying and How the Church Left Behind the Bible. Whoa. Today's topic, the hell myth, as promised. I want to address how the Bible handles this idea, and is that part of our future? Is that part of uh, prophecies in the Bible? Answer, let's just find out. I have written here 40, count them, 40 different reasons why hell, as defined by eternal conscious torment, is a myth. It's a myth. It's not true. What we've been taught our entire lives, are you telling me that what we grew up with isn't even real? Yes, that's about the size of it. Eternal conscious torment is not found anywhere in Scripture. Now, number one reason why hell can't be real is that Jesus did not pay the hell penalty even though every sin ever committed by anybody got dumped on his shoulders. If he paid the price for all of our sins, including yours and mine, then he paid the wrong penalty, which disqualifies him to be our Christ. It's that serious. So clearly, it's the death penalty for sin and not eternal conscious torment. Can we get that? So, since he didn't pay the right penalty, he would have to be disqualified. But he is qualified. We trust that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. He is our creator, after all. So, he alone could pay that price. And he became human just for that purpose. And now that that part of the mission of Jesus is done, he's, qualif- excuse me, he's qualified to be our king and our savior and our God. And that's exactly what he is. He is God. So... If you would like to study more into that, I urge you, please go to my website, itellwhy.com. I know we usually advertise that, quote-unquote, even though we don't have anything to sell on the website. But we usually wait till after, at the end of the podcast, not the beginning. So let's move on to number two. 
God is nowhere found in the Bible as a tormentor or torturer. Now, there is a verse that says that God will allow a person to go into a tormenting situation because he needs to bring him back. That's what a father does. A father sometimes will punish his children. And it it seems cruel a little bit, but not that much. So, at any rate, these days, capital punishment is not in vogue. Well, we don't get it. We don't understand why that needs to happen. But a little fear is good for us, quite honestly. A little fear keeps us out of trouble that is worse. So that's why a father will do that for his son, whom he loves. If he doesn't love him, he won't discipline him. That's just the way it is. And so it is with God. He is not a torturer. He's not going to lock a, a little girl or a little boy in a closet and leave him there, barely feeding him, letting him cry and scream and shout and pound and everything else trying to get out of there. No, he doesn't do that. It's not found anywhere in Scripture. If it is, you show me. Email me at jesusisy at gmail.com. Number three, There's no such thing as separation from God. What? Wait a minute. Isn't that what they tell us now in in church? Yeah. Death or hell, that is, is separation, eternal separation from God. No. There's no such thing. If you go down to the depths of the sea, God is there. If you go up to the highest peak, God is there. There's nowhere to run away from God. See Psalms 139, verse 7. Number four, the wicked will be ground to powder. What? Yeah, if you go to Luke 20, verses 17 and 18, let's just do that. Luke 20, verses 17 and 18 say this. Jesus is talking to the people in the temple. And he preached the gospel. This is in verse 1 so that the chief priests and the scribes came together with the elders and confronted him. And he says, or they say, um, tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who gave you this authority? But he answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, and answer me, and then I'll answer you. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reason among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they 
are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, dropping down to verse um, 16. Um, then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to those people? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give that vineyard to others who will bring forth the fruits. And when they had heard this, they said, Certainly not. Because they didn't understand. Their eyes were blinded. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus, by the way, is that chief cornerstone. Then in verse 18, listen to this. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whom it falls, it will grind him to powder. Whoa. Now, a lot of times you hear that, well, that's just the physical body. That's going to die and go to the grave anyway and disintegrate, but the soul will live on forever. You can't kill the soul. They'll tell you that. Is that true, really, honestly? Show me that in Scripture. Doesn't it say that God only has immortality? Then how could our souls live on forever? No, we don't have a soul. We are a soul. Even C.S. Lewis said that. So the body and the soul get killed and then ground to powder. They're not, there's nothing left. They're, he has left them neither root nor branch. Here's one I really like. The wicked will sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake. And God himself signs off on it twice. Where? Jeremiah 51 Verses 39 and 57. Read it for yourselves. The wicked sleep a perpetual sleep. Well, you can't be awake in hell, burning in cruel anguish, while you're sleeping. I don't believe that you'll hear that from the pulpit. Number six. God can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna, that is a fire. So I understand it. Matthew 10, verse 28. Number seven. The wicked are turned to ashes. Where is that found? Second Peter 2 and verse 6 and Isaiah 26, verse 14. Number eight, 
souls or people die. What? Did you know that was in the Bible? That we're not immortal? That we're mortal? We're going to die. Even our souls, as it was translated in the old King James, it means our lives. We die. That's just the way it is. Ezekiel 18, 4 and 20. So souls die. They're not immortal. But there is a resurrection, according to God. Everyone will have his day in court, so to speak. Now, number nine, God has no pleasure in the wicked's death. Where is that found? It's found in Ezekiel 33:11. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want any of them to perish, but that all should come to repentance and turn and follow God. That's what he wants for everybody. And eventually, everyone will know him. Number 10. Woe to the shepherds who tell lies. If you're a pastor and you teach this foul dogma of hell, you are one of those shepherds who is feeding himself and not the flock. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 3. So, can we really consider ourselves Christian if we believe something that Jesus never taught? Even though they relegate it to him? No. We're not Christians. We're religionists who want to add things to God's word. Woe be to them. Number 11. Beware of the teaching of men. Matthew 15 and verse 9. Beware of it. What do you mean beware of it? Be leery of it. Be leery of it. Number 12. Satan will die. So who's going to stoke the flames? We think that Satan is the one in charge of hell, torturing people. Not according to Ezekiel 28, verses 11 through 19. Satan himself is clearly defined as having been in the Garden of Eden, one of the covering cherubs, and that he will die, and it will be as if he had never been. And he will never be anymore. Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. So if that's the case, then that sort of evaporates hell away, doesn't it? It should. And here's a biggie, number 13. The parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Now, I got confronted with this um, by the elder board of a church I wanted or thought I wanted to attend. Don't anymore for sure. Luke sixteen nineteen through 31 is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. This is a big study, not a small one. So I'm not going to be able to do it justice here. 
but I just want to hit some of the highlights. You can go to my website and read my book on it. And uh, it's called Why Lie About Hell? Go to Jesus is Why or I Tell Why. It'll lead you to the same place. There's plenty of videos there that even talk about it. If you want to see some YouTubes that are really good on the subject, look for Unlearn. Unlearn by Lex Meyer. He's got several up on hell. And you should listen to it. You should watch his videos. They're very good. Very good. And he's trying to tell the truth and teach that we should unlearn the lies. Why lie about hell? I tell why.com. But let's just go to Luke 16, 19 through 31 for a second. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, full, well, full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, or close side, or something like that. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments, aha! Being in torments, he lifted up his eyes in Hades. Now, this is the grave in Greek. And saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. See, no, not, not yet, just wait. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus also evil things? But now he's comforted, and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who would want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then I beg you, therefore, Father, he said, that you would send him to my father's house, that he may testify to my five brothers, that they may... Uh, avoid coming to this place of torment. Excuse me, in this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, Well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said unto them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even though one rises from the dead. Unquote. That's the end of verse 31. But that is the gist of the whole parable. What? what? Wait a minute. What do you mean that's the gist of it? Well, it says if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, i.e. the Old Testament, Neither will they be persuaded if one rose from the dead. That would be Jesus in the New Testament. 
They're not going to believe anything in the New Testament if they don't believe the Old Testament. What he's doing here is corroborating the Old Testament, seems to me. It has nothing to do with eternal conscious torment. You'll notice that the devil's nowhere to be found and that Jesus is not in the parable himself and neither is God the Father or the Holy Spirit. Huh, interesting. Well, we'll go into this more later. But for now, this is Albert Hardy saying, go to my website, itellwhy.com. We'll pick this up again next time. Thanks for listening and have a great day.